Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest uh, set of vodcasts. And this is going to be on neuroendocrine tumors of the pancreas. I think one of the things we all notice these days is that neuroendocrine tumors of the pancreas, small bowel, uh, have become much more frequent. They were very rare tumors. Now they're very common. If, for example, with pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, we'd see cases occasionally. Now we see them every week. Now, in part, one of the reasons is because we're so much better on imaging between CT and MR that we find very small tumors. Remember that CT way back when for neuroendocrine tumors like insulinomas, for example, your accuracy was under 30%. Now it's over 95%. So technology really drives a lot of what we can be successful in. So what I'm going to share with you is a lot of images and a lot of facts. We're going to look at some of the comments about neuroendocrine tumors detection with arterial and venous phase imaging. Typically, arterial is better. We're going to look a little bit, just briefly, about vascular invasion and how the appearance of vascular invasion looks different with tumor growing directly into the vessel with neuroendocrine tumors as opposed to encasing tumors with adenocarcinoma. That sometimes can be helpful in reaching a diagnosis. We'll talk about some of the spread of disease, basically focusing on liver metastasis, which are hypervascular typically. We'll talk about the vascular mapping and the fact that also you have vascular nodes, that everything that relates to neuroendocrine tumors, whether it's liver, whether it's lung, whether it's to bone, whether it's to nodes, are going to be vascular. And we're going to cover a lot of the other things, including some of the advantages of cinematic rendering potentially and looking at these patients and perhaps being better at detecting small tumors. We're going to look at a range of the appearances of neuroendocrine tumors. And we're going to also talk about some of the controversies, and I'll start with that. I mentioned a few moments ago how we never picked up small tumors, so this was never an issue. The issue today is we pick up a lot of incidental tumors like this 5-millimeter neuroendocrine tumor. You can see it here on the axials or see it very nicely on the MIP. The question, of course, is what do you do about it? Do you need to remove every neuroendocrine tumor? Obviously, they can grow and metastasize over time, but is there a low risk to some of these tumors? People have done certain pathologic classifications and grading, and we're doing the same thing now with imaging. <clears throat> can we, with imaging, determine what lesions can be left behind and followed and which need to be removed. We're doing that at Hopkins with deep learning. I think it's going to be a major, major project for us. But again, detection, these incidental lesions, is becoming more common. And of course, technique is everything. If you look at this case, it looks like a normal pancreas. It's venous phase, but it looks like a good study, no dilated common duct or pancreatic duct. But what if I told you there's a mass in the head of the pancreas? Do you see the mass? There's no dilated ducts. There's no enhancing lesion. There's no hypodense lesion. But with neuroendocrine tumors, they often become uh, isodense very quickly. So in the 30 seconds between arterial and venous, the lesion is no longer seen. Yet look how obvious it is on the arterial phase. And look how obvious it is on the arterial phase and compare it to the venous phase. So one of the things we recognize is neuroendocrine tumors can be somewhat challenging because their appearance is so related to the timing. Now I'll show you a bit later in this lecture that not every neuroendocrine tumor is hypervascular, and at times we see cystic lesions which can be challenging, 
but most of the time those cystic lesions have rim-like enhancement, which would be unusual for a simple cyst. Occasionally you see enhancement with a large serous cyst adenoma because of draping of vessels, but rim enhancement is always going to be or almost always a neuroendocrine tumor. But again, you see the difficulties. I'll speak about um, the role of potentially using cinematic rendering. With cinematic rendering, I'm able to accentuate tissue. And if you look at the head of the pancreas, you can see very nicely that roughly one centimeter lesion where I'm putting a circle around in the patient's head of the pancreas and comparing that to the texture of the gland. Or here's another set of images. Image on your right, kind of a cinematic with a high level of transparency. And look how the lesion stands out so nicely. Though you can see it in retrospect on the other rendering, it's there. But again, one of the things we put a lot of effort in with visualizations is to optimize display for detection. And there it is. And here's just another set of images again where you very nicely see the one centimeter lesion in the head of the pancreas. Look at the texture of the normal gland and compare that to the texture of the lesion. And then here very nicely I've changed the rendering a bit. So on the left, I'm showing you the arterial map, the celiac, the SMA, the GDA. On this view, it's a bit hard to see the tumor. Image on your right, it's on the venous phase. You see the renal vein. But look how nicely you see the tumor. With cinematic rendering, I could adjust the parameters. And you can see with this parameter set, look how I accentuate the tumor against normal pancreas. So one of the things I will focus on is at least suggesting to you that perhaps things like cinematic rendering will help us prevent missing the really small neuroendocrine tumors, and that can be important. Now, when I speak about tumor spread, I mentioned a few moments ago that classically neuroendocrine tumors are associated with vascular metastasis to the liver. And not that many things give METs to the liver that are vascular. Carcinoid tumors, renal cell carcinomas, and neuroendocrine tumors are things we think about. Of course, primary tumors like cholangio or, or um, hepatoma or that border between hepatoma and hepatic adenoma are all distinct possibilities. But in the right scenario, you got to be thinking of neuroendocrine tumors. So just a couple examples. Here's a nice case of a mass in the tail of the pancreas, a relatively large mass, multiple liver metastasis, some with calcification. You can see central necrosis. You can see the vascularity of the lesion and the feeding vessels going to the lesion. All of this very nicely shown on the 3D mapping. You also see the mass in the tail of the pancreas here with areas of calcification nearby. And then, of course, if I give you the venous phase imaging, the tumor you can see, and you can sort of see the liver mets, but surely not as well. And you begin to wonder, are these treated mets? Is there scarring? How much is tumor? How much is not tumor? It's challenging, and I'll put those images almost side by side, and you can see how quickly image on the bottom right lobe looks like a cyst, where it's really a vascular mass, but the cystic part is all you're seeing, or even the left lobe, how less well-defined the lesion is. So one of the rules with neuroendocrine tumors for detecting the lesion and for detecting metastasis, you must have good arterial phase injections, 5 cc's a second, 100 to 120 cc's will really do a great job. Another example, here's a mass in the tail of the pancreas. 
and you'll see it in a moment the mass better but you can see nodes behind the mid-body of the pancreas and the large vascular metastasis in the left lobe of the liver. There are also multiple mets in the right lobe of the liver. You also can see nicely on the image on your right the large mass and its vascularity. And you can see as we look at the liver the multiple vascular lesions. And again, if you're looking for metastasis for neuroendocrine tumors, you need to be in that arterial phase. That indeed becomes critical, nicely shown here, and on these images as well. This case also shows you on the venous side of things, the liver lesions are still seen. The, the tail of the pancreas mass, you can see, is growing directly into the splenic vein. So remember with um, adenocarcinoma classically, the tumor encases the vessels, so you see lots of collaterals. You may see lots of collaterals with this as well, but one of the things is that you're going to see vessel invasion, and that's, that's something, uh, again, that becomes very, very, very important. And here's just another example showing you the mass, the calcification. The idea about vascular mets, what gives you, what gives you vascular mets? Well, you, know, you could say renal cell, uh, other neuroendocrine tumors, paragangliomas, pheochromocytomas, uh, carcinoid tumors, be they small bowel, colon, stomach, esophagus. And again, neuroendocrine tumors of the pancreas, beautiful large mass here, very vascular, widespread liver metastasis. And you can see that same case, the texture mapping of the lesion was cinematic, the multiple liver metastasis. And here's a good look at the surface of the liver and the multiple collaterals present. I'll just mention that sometimes we see liver lesions that have bled, and we're typically saying it's a um, hepatic adenoma until proven otherwise, I agree. Occasionally it's hepatoma, but you can see from this case it can be neuroendocrine tumors. Here's a neuroendocrine tumor that had been partially treated. You can see the lesion is not very vascular. And look at the rupture of the liver capsule. You can see the bleed present. <clears throat> As we scan downward, you can very nicely see the bleed. And here it is on the coronal display. Multiple liver lesions, there's a splenic lesion, perihepatic bleeding, intrahepatic bleeding. I will admit that that is not the most common appearance in my experience. Now, what else about neuroendocrine tumors is unique? Well, one is it's one of the tumors that calcifies. Cirrhosis that enoma, central punctate calcification, MCN, SPNs, solid and papillary neoplasms can have speckled calcification, rim-like calcifications. IPMNs have faint rim-like calcification. Mets of the pancreas occasionally can have central calcification. And there are some numbers SPEN is probably the highest, 50%, but you can see with neuroendocrine, it's often up to 15%. Neuroendocrine tumors most commonly calcify with coarse, irregular calcifications. Calcifications are usually central, but can be in the periphery. With serous adenoma, they may have rim-like calcifications, or a central scar with calcification, or thin septations. And finally, on MCNs, they may have peripheral calcifications, or calcified septations. The spend tumors, as I mentioned, the most frequent lesion for calcification, has dense calcification more commonly in the periphery, but it can be anywhere in the lesion. IPMNs, usually peripheral, and METs may calcify as well if from renal cell. So again, it's a, it's a possibility. It's something we need to think about. And when we see calcified pancreatic masses, 
the differential diagnosis should come to mind. And so I just wanted to remind you that. And here's some examples. Large mass tail of pancreas, not as vascular as you typically associate with neuroendocrine tumors, but look at that dense central calcification. It's a solid mass. I don't think you're gonna confuse it with anything else, but look at the mass. It's solid, it's calcification. Uh, look at the calcification here on this MIP imaging. And then there's the calcification as you go from arterial to venous phase imaging. It's punctate, it's central. Here it is on the 3D map. Very, very nicely shown. And here it is on cinematic. So we're able to really give you a feel of those dense coarse calcifications, the homogeneity of the lesion otherwise, the extent of involvement, the displacement of vessels, just a... Um, really good look at a spectrum of how we could use cinematic. In this example, look at the texture of the normal gland and how different it is from the neuroendocrine tumor. And of course, we could change lookup tables. One of the things we're looking at is with radiomics, can we distinguish uh, neuroendocrine tumors from adenocarcinoma? Can we distinguish grade one and two neuroendocrines from grade three and four? Can we look at these different parameters and come up with answers as to what is specific and what is important about these lesions and how to manage them. You can see in this case, because of splenic vein involvement, the collateral is present, which is nicely seen here as well. Look how the tumor itself drapes the vessels over it. Just a very nice example. Another case very similar, very dense central coarse calcifications. What else could this be? A spend tumor if the patient was young enough, the patient's older. And again, spend is usually more peripheral. Neuroendocrine more central, nice example there. Nice example on the patient's MIP imaging as well. And here's a few more images with volume rendering, venous phase. Very nice mass, coarse calcification. You begin to run out of explanations. You gotta be thinking about that diagnosis of neuroendocrine tumor. Now, we talk about neuroendocrine as being very vascular, which means very solid. We talk about um, the presence of calcification. Uh, we also note that these lesions are often cystic. No clear reason why. It's not that they're cystic post-therapy, it's they're cystic from the get-go. Here's a nice example of a mass in the tail of the pancreas. You recognize this calcification. The lesion is not a simple IPMN because it's not water density. The walls are thick and nodular. And if I scan it some more arterial phase, you can appreciate what looks like enhancing of the walls. And here is coronally, look at the calcification, look at the lesion, and as you go from arterial to venous, you begin to see that the lesion actually has rim enhancement. And if I go a little bit further, now look at the lesion. You can see the vascularity of the lesion, the cystic component looks like it's less, and the enhancement is particularly prominent in the periphery of the lesion, and here's just one more set of images with 3D. Just a very nice picture and spectrum of that lesion. So again, a very, very elegant way. Now, what could you say this is? An MCN, MCNs aren't vascular. MCNs don't have coarse calcification. IPMN, it's a thought, but you don't get the enhancement. If this was an IPMN, it would surely be a cancer. It's not an IPMN that you're gonna follow. IPMN calcifications are usually very small. They're not to this extent. So that's a total different appearance. So this is very, very important in that regard. Now, what else? What if the pancreatic mass is vascular? What could it be? 
there aren't many things. Classically, it's neuroendocrine versus metastatic disease to the pancreas, usually from renal cell, and usually the renal cell is 10 to 15 years before presentation. Occasionally, serous cystadenomas can look very vascular around the periphery because they stretch the vessels. It often has a very impressive appearance, but you can typically distinguish it. We talk about neuroendocrine tumors. The most classic vascular ones are in the 5 to 20 millimeter range, but you can see vascular lesions at 5 centimeters. Pancreatic mets, again, the history of renal cell 10 to 15 years earlier, you're not going to see it at presentation. Patients typically will have had a nephrectomy already. The pancreatic metastasis may be the only site of recurrence. So patients will get pancreatic surgery because that indeed can be very helpful in that regard. And finally, again, if you see an absent kidney, think metastatic renal cell. If both kidneys are there and look good, you have a neuroendocrine tumor. You're not dealing with renal cell carcinoma. And again, as I mentioned, with the serous cystadenomas, um, it's different. You have the cystic septations, then you have rim enhancement, but the entire spectrum of findings is really stretching a vessel. It's not that same enhancement into the tumor. So again, it's usually a fairly easy separation. Now, neuroendocrine tumors um, typically occur sporadically, but they can also be recognized with syndromes. And why don't we do this? Why don't we stop here? Maybe in between, read something quick about syndromes, uh, like MEN1, and then let's come back in, let's say, 10 minutes, just walk around a little bit, get a few steps, and we'll come back and we'll pick it up with part two. See you in a minute. Thanks.